Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about melanoma and other skin cancers with Dr. Christine Coe. Dr. Coe is a professor of dermatology and pathology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. So, Christine, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. Yes, I'm a dermatologist and dermatopathologist. So a lot of people might understand what a dermatologist is, but just in case, a dermatologist is a physician who studies and examines patients' skin, hair, and nails, so sort of the outer part of your body and your scalp and your nails. And a dermatopathologist is someone who looks at tissue, so the tissue from your scalp, hair, nails, um, body, under the microscope. So if you've ever gone to a doctor and had a piece of your skin taken off, which is called a biopsy, and had that sent to a laboratory, and then you get a report back, that report was created by a dermatopathologist or sometimes a pathologist without um, specialized expertise in the skin. But those are the two main things that I do. So you do both. Uh, You're a dermatologist and a dermatopathologist. Is that right? Yes, well, that's fantastic. Um, so tell us a bit more about skin cancers. I mean, it seems like you do skin cancer all the time, and we're now celebrating uh, Skin Cancer Awareness Month. Talk a little bit about what that landscape kind of looks like in terms of how common are skin cancers, what's the most common type of skin cancer we see, um, and how is that diagnosed and treated? Yes. So skin cancer is really important because one in five Americans will have a skin cancer by the time they're 70. So that's 20%. And so in a nuclear family that may typically be four, um, one of those, you know, close to one of those people will have a skin cancer. The most common type of skin cancer is basal cell carcinoma. And I know that's a lot of words. It's three words, but I abbreviate it to my patients and we abbreviate it among doctors too. We just call it B, like boy, BCC, two Cs. And so you can call it that even as a patient, BCC. And so that BCC is the most common skin cancer for Americans, especially uh, lighter or fairer skinned Americans. And that usually presents as we call it pearly. It might look a little shiny or sort of like that kind of oyster-like translucence, if you think of shellfish, um, with sort of blood vessels, like red little lines going through it. And one thing that I often tell my patients is that it can bleed relatively easily. Like you're just sort of washing your face or you it, it gets brushed with like your clothing or something and it, and it just bleeds a tiny bit or sometimes a lot. So that's the most common skin cancer. The one cancer that, of, of the skin that a lot of people are more familiar with is melanoma. And I think that's because of really good skin cancer campaigns and people know that it's often a dark spot and it might be changing or it might be a little irregular in shape. And um, that also I think people are aware of because it can really affect even younger individuals, you know, from like 20s and above. So it can affect all ages and it can be deadly. So I think 
you know, for good reason, there have been awareness campaigns and people are becoming more and more familiar with melanoma. And so um, let's talk a little bit about uh, each of those in turn, maybe starting with melanoma, since that's the most deadly. Um, Tell us a bit more about what are the risk factors uh, for developing melanoma? Uh, Is there a screening protocol that people should follow? Who should follow it? Um, And so on. Yes. So melanoma is one of the most deadly skin cancers. There are others that are much more rare, like Merkel cell carcinoma. So I won't talk about those. But melanoma, skin cancer screening programs, the general recommendation is for you, each individual person, to look at your skin, to do a self-skin exam, just like women and men are told to do breast exams on themselves. And so a skin exam, actually, I tell my patients, is relatively easy once you get used to it. And all you really have to do is ideally have a full-length mirror, but a you know sort of waist-up one will do if that's all you have. And um, when you come out of the shower or bath, maybe choose the first of the month or the last of the month or you know the 15th or whatever day works for you. And ideally, once a month, just look at your skin, all of it, including the genital area. It's a little harder for women, but we can take a mirror and look at the genital area as well. And just get used to what spots you really have. Some people have very few, some people have a lot, and just get used to it. And anything that looks a little weird to you, ask your doctor about it. So that's a big component, I think. I advocate that people do self-skin exams. The other thing you can do is you can go to your doctor or your dermatologist and have the physician do a skin exam in which ideally they would look at every single part of your body. Um, So I will examine under the hair, you know, between the hairs, if I can do it, I will tell people to, I ask them to enlist the hairdresser's help if they go to a hairdresser or barber for people that have a good, healthy amount of hair. It can be hard to look in between all of that hair and it's easier when it's wet. So I'll ask people if they do go to a barber or hairdresser for them, you know, if they ever notice anything, ask them to take a photo, kind of have a general sense of where it is. And they can even upload that photo to me in Epic um, in in an electronic medical record. And so then uh, ideally the, the physician will look at the under the, the under the hair, in between the hair, the rest of the body, the genital area, nails, bottoms of the feet. So the socks and shoes come off as well. Um, so everywhere that there's skin. You know, that, thank you for uh, that really um, thorough description, because I think that, well, many of us may have heard, you know, yeah, we should look at our skin, we don't really think about some of those other areas. So, you know, taking a mirror and looking at the genital area is something that a lot of people may not think about, especially because so much of us think about skin cancers and melanoma as being related to sun exposure. So in that area, if you haven't gone skinny dipping for a while, um, it generally isn't exposed to sunlight, but is it still at risk for melanoma? Yes, absolutely. I'm glad that you made that comment because often my patients and, you know, friends, family who talk to me about skin and skin cancer and, you know, how and when they should be looking at their own skin, they often say that. They're like, but I don't go to nude beaches or I don't go skinny dipping. And absolutely, it's, I think the myth and that misconception comes from partial truth, you know, which is often the case. So, 
ultraviolet light sunlight is a major contributor to skin cancer. And that's a major reason why fairer skin or lighter skin, especially skin types that burn and virtually don't tan, you know, they, they burn and then they go back to the fair skin that they had before the burn and they don't really become significantly, you know, darker or tan in any way. That's the highest risk skin type for skin cancer because there's essentially no melanin pigment. Melanin is the pigment in the skin that, that, that creates color that can create a tan. And with virtually no protection from melanin, you are at highest risk for skin cancer compared to skin that uh, has more melanin in it. And um, But ultraviolet light, that sun exposure is not the only risk factor. And another risk factor is for example, human papillomavirus, HPV virus, or wart virus. And I think that can make sense the way I often translate it to patients is, well, you know that cervical cancer, or a lot of people understand that and they know about vaccination of you know younger kids and even up to age 45 against HPV wart virus to prevent cervical cancer as well as other, especially genital cancers and oral cancers that are related to wart virus, but it's same for the skin. And so that genital area or the sort of near genital area a risk factor is human papillomavirus or warp virus. And so that can be a reason why you may have never gone to a nude beach, but you can have skin cancer in that area as well. Hmm. So does HPV vaccine protect you against skin cancers in that area? Yes, I think it can. And so one thing, for example, is that Transplant patients who are immunosuppressed um, because, you know, to help them not reject the transplanted organ, they are at higher risk of skin cancer as well as other cancers due to that suppression of the immune system that's appropriate to keep the, you know, transplanted organ um, doing well. Um, but um, especially patients with sort of darker or higher skin types, um, they have higher risk of skin cancer in those sort of more sun-protected areas. And it is thought to be because of human papillomavirus. And there are efforts to see if vaccination against HPV can reduce skin cancers in that population. So yes, you're absolutely right that um, HPV-induced skin cancers should be prevented as well from the HPV vaccine. Interesting. So you mentioned that um, people with darker skin, um, with more melanin, um, are more likely to get um, these HPV type uh, skin cancers. Do we see other differences based on race or, or skin color um, uh, in terms of how uh, skin cancers present? Yes, that's a great question. I'm not sure that they're more susceptible to HPV-induced cancers if they have darker skin or, you know, higher type skin, um, but just that since they have fewer skin cancers in sun-exposed areas, um, just that that is an important place to check um, for higher and darker skin types, um, including mine. So, um, but what I would say is, is that um, there are major differences. And so another major difference is that um, higher or darker skin types, and I say higher because we kind of have a Fitzpatrick skin color scale, um, which kind of 
gives you a number for the skin color um, that you have, the skin type that you have, and lightest or fairest with like close to zero melanin pigment, that color that makes brown in the skin or tan in the skin is a one. And then the higher skin type, type six, it goes up to six, is darker skin, the darkest that has the most melanin in it. And um, it's also based on how your skin reacts to sunlight. So if you basically burn and hardly really tan at all, don't get darker, you're, you're a one. And if you essentially never, never, ever burn, but you do get a little darker from the sun, that's a six. And in the middle, three, four, it's like you generally tan, but you can burn. And so that's that's the scale that I'm talking about and why I'll say higher skin types. And so if you have higher skin types, sort of usually we'll think like four, five, and six, you tend to get melanoma, for example, under your nails more so than if you have lower skin types or on the bottoms of the feet or on the palms or, you know, for example, in that genital area, as we talked about. So I really emphasize to my patients with higher skin types to definitely, definitely look in those areas as well. And so I think that sort of myth or misconception that it's sun exposed areas may also contribute to the statistics that we know that are true, that patients with higher skin types often have their skin cancers, not often, but maybe can have for sure, their skin cancers detected later than fair skin types. And I think it might be because of that myth or misconception that people don't think you can have a skin cancer under your nail or on the bottom of your feet, which generally isn't being exposed to the sun either or the genital, perigenital area. Yeah, I was going to ask you that question in terms of, you know, the fact that we simply don't think to check in those areas. So that may contribute to these being picked up later. We are going to continue this very interesting conversation right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about the care of patients with melanoma and other skin cancers in honor of Melanoma and Skin Cancer Awareness Month with my guest, Dr. Christine Cope. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, where their melanoma program brings together an extensive multidisciplinary team to diagnose, treat, and care for patients with melanoma and other skin cancers. SmiloCancerHospital.org. It's estimated that over 240,000 men in the U.S. will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, with over 3,000 new cases being identified here in Connecticut. One in eight American men will develop prostate cancer in the course of his lifetime. Major advances in the detection and treatment of prostate cancer have dramatically decreased the number of men who die from the disease. Screening can be performed quickly and easily in a physician's office using two simple tests, a physical exam and a blood test. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, where doctors are also using the Artemis machine, which enables targeted biopsies to be performed. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Christine Koch. We're talking about the care of patients with melanoma and other skin cancers in honor of Melanoma and Skin Cancer Awareness Month. Now, right before the break, Christine, you were mentioning that 
um, some people, particularly those who um, have higher skin types, that is to say, darker skin with more melanin, um, tend to get fewer skin cancers, but may have proportionately more in places that people often don't look. So under the nails, the bottom of the feet, the genital areas, non-skin exposed areas that still can get skin cancers. And so really important for people to look because one of the very important points that I think you made right as we were going to break was that these can be found at a later stage. Um, And so the question that that then leads into is, can you talk a little bit more about the treatment algorithms for treating melanoma? Stage is something that we'll use to really refer to how advanced a cancer is. And really the goal of, I think, physicians, dermatologists, anyone who deals with cancer is to detect it as early as possible. And so that you have early stage cancer. Um, you know, people might be more familiar with breast cancer, um, but same same thing applies to melanoma or other cancers. And stage one cancer, or even we'll have sort of insight to stage zero is the best and uh, to have rather than stage four, which means that you have cancer that has spread. And so melanoma can definitely be stage four, stage three, these higher stages that suggest that you're going to have a worse prognosis, meaning that that cancer really might affect the course of your life. And so ideally, when we catch skin cancer, including melanoma at stage zero, stage one, or even stage two, we can cure the patient. Usually the best way is just to cut it out. And so it's sort of a a math, it comes down to math, right? If you imagine something smaller it's much easier to cut it out no matter where it is, even if it's in a sensitive area like the genital area. And the bigger it is, the big, the harder it is to cut that larger thing out. So excision or cutting something out is the main way we treat things. And it works often very well. And many, many people have a cure. And so I'll often tell people that, for example, BCC, the basal cell carcinoma that we mentioned in the first part, That often is cured very easily, relatively easily compared to other skin cancers with a simple excision and people do very well. And so it's the best cancer to have is what I'll tell patients if you have to have one. Um, Melanoma often can also be cured with excision. Other ways, especially for higher stages, is, um, you know, newer modalities. There's been an explosion, a really wonderful explosion in cancer treatment for all cancers, but also including melanoma. And we used to not have great treatments for advanced stage melanoma, stage three or stage four. But increasingly, we have new treatments, including something called BRAF inhibitor treatment, um, also MEK inhibitor treatment. And they all have fancy names like Vemurafenib. But the per- important thing to remember is that increasingly with help of researchers and scientists and physicians who dedicate their time to research as well in laboratories, that there are molecular alterations. There are alterations on that inside cell level that are detected. And so for melanoma, an example is a BRAF mutation. BRAF is a particular gene in our genetic code that can be changed in skin cancer in melanoma. And 
demurafenib, that fancy name, targets that particular BRAF mutation. And so we have these advances that can do wonders, even with stage four with metastatic melanoma. And so I would just say work carefully and closely with your oncologist, and you'll see that oftentimes there can be really great treatments. So, you know, when you talk about these these fancy drugs um, that uh, are inhibitors of various mutations, it certainly sounds a lot like the precision medicine that we've talked about on this show previously for other cancers. Can you tell us a little bit more about how common these mutations are in melanoma? Because it's still the perception of many that melanoma is the most deadly skin cancer, Um, But if the majority of these have a targetable mutation, and if those drugs um, that are inhibitors of those targetable mutations are very effective, one can imagine that it might not actually be as deadly as some think. Absolutely. And that's why I said there's this wonderful explosion of new treatments, because we are seeing that Definitely, when I started out, and even probably for a good half of my career as a dermatologist, if someone was diagnosed with advanced melanoma, stage four melanoma that had spread, that was pretty much a fatal diagnosis, a really difficult conversation to have with that patient about what was sort of in store in terms of that cancer. There were treatments, say, like interferon alpha. But they didn't work that well in, in, you know, the vast majority of patients. So now what we're seeing is with that personalized medicine, absolutely, your cancer, your melanoma can be sequenced and even just stained. So now for that BRAF gene, for example, we have an immunohistochemical stain, which just means that your pathologist or dermatopathologist can stain the tissue with a particular antibody and just see if the tissue lights up a different color showing that the antibody, that protein is stained. And so then that would suggest that that personalized treatment with a BRAF inhibitor would work versus if your tissue doesn't stain with that, it it wouldn't work. So we can get more and more precise and personalized for the best treatment to use on patients. And so there are these really stunning curves in science journals that will show survival curves and they're called waterfall plots. It's kind of a pretty fancy kind of picturesque term, but it really shows that survival has really changed with newer medicines like that. And I just want to again emphasize though that early detection is still better because what happens with some of these medicines, for example, that BRAF inhibitor medicine, is that your cancer it's tricky and it's growing fast because it's out of control, right? That's what cancer is, uncontrolled growth. And it can bypass, it can start to bypass around that treatment. So the earlier we can detect it, the fewer cells of cancer that there are, um, there's less chance of that kind of resistance to treatment developing. And are most cancers uh, most melanomas, do most melanomas have these mutations such that they are targetable or um, are many of them without a target such that they need to be treated with more generalized therapies like chemotherapy or immunotherapy? 
Yes. So I would say um, the majority, maybe 60% plus of melanomas can have a targetable BRAF mutation. Um, if you, we realized scientists, you know, studies, good careful studies showed relatively early on that treatment with a BRAF inhibitor alone, resistance would often develop within sort of less than a year's time in patients. So now um, immunotherapy and, you know, adding on other medicines on top of a BRAF um, inhibitor is commonly used and is very effective and can prevent that kind of resistance from forming. Absolutely. And so how many of these patients um, who have a BRAF mutation who are treated um, with uh, targeted therapies then relapse? And um, I mean, do we do we see, you mentioned that if they relapse, they generally relapse within a year, but um, do, do many of them never relapse? I mean, is this truly curative treatment? Yeah, there are um, definitely success stories where there's a cure. Some patients, they, they do need to stay on that immunotherapy, that inhibitor, but it can kind of, it can keep the cancer in check, basically. Um, so yes, there are cures, close, close to being cures or sort of control of the disease. Yes. Um, and they're, they're stunning. Other patients may not have as good a response rate and, I would say it is still, to me also, part of personalized medicine entails that your response becomes what it is for you. So there are statistics, but, you know, good, careful follow-up and follow-up of any scans if you have them. Um, that kind of periodic monitoring is is probably, at least right now, still always important. And when you mention that some patients need to take immunotherapy to kind of keep this cancer under control. Is that given orally? And how long do patients need to be on those therapies? Yes, immunotherapy, there are things like PD-1 inhibitors, which are used for other cancers as well. So people may be familiar with them in other in the context of other cancers like colon cancer or lung cancer or other organ systems. And um, they're generally infusions. Yeah, so you still you would still go to uh, you know like Smilo for example and get an IV put in and it would be in um, you know infused through your vein. Getting back to where we started this conversation, you know we talked at, at the top of the show about the spectrum of cancers, and you mentioned that the majority of cancers are actually basal cell cancers. And many of us may not talk a lot about basal cell cancers because they generally have a really good prognosis. Is that right? Yes. Basal cell cancer, especially when detected early, it's less than, you know, say a centimeter. It It's highly curable with excision. And so, and, and then they don't require any further treatment. Is that right? Generally not. And so how can we... I mean, can you kind of guide our audience when we're doing those um, very thorough skin exams once a month that you had mentioned in the first half of the show, what should we be looking for in terms of a basal cell versus a, a squamous cell versus a melanoma? 
And when should we really be going to our doctor and saying, hey, look at this? Because many of us will have little spots, moles, you know, maybe a freckle or two. And we really don't want to bother our doctor if we don't think it's anything to be concerned about. Um, But at the same time, uh, we want to be sure that we're detecting anything that might be a cancer early. So can you kind of give us some tips? It's interesting because melanoma, which people are more aware, most aware of, it seems like when I talk to my patients, it's great that they're aware of that. But, um, but in the sense that melanoma often looks very different than other skin cancers, especially BCC, basal cell carcinoma, which is the most common as we've been talking about. And so basal cell carcinoma, what you want to look for for that is a pink to sort of translucent to sometimes dark. It can sometimes be gray or black, especially in patients with higher skin types, that four, five, or six um, Fitzpatrick scale. It can be gray. So not everything that's dark and irregular is melanoma. Sometimes it is BCC, basal cell carcinoma. So a general rule of thumb that I'll tell patients is let me know about, let your dermatologist know, your physician know about anything that looks weird to you. Dr. Christine Coe is a professor of dermatology and pathology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.